Beautiful day in the neighborhood. We keep waiting. Not quite. Can we see sunshine in the forecast? We should have started to count. Man, we should have started to count. Because when was the last time we had a sunny day? Was it Saturday? I don't even remember. We're going to be going on at least a week, and now I don't see sun in the forecast for a while. John Wilson will get us up to speed a little later on in news, and we are going to talk with a number of different people on the show today. Curtis Joseph will be on the show. He is going to be in London. He's got a new book, The Untold Story of My Life on and Off the Ice. And as much as you might think, well, when you talk to Curtis Joseph, that's just talking about hockey. Not so much. I'll read a couple of passages from his book before we get around to speaking with Curtis. That's in about an hour from now. And you'll see that this book is very much not just about hockey. And you will find out things that you didn't even realize an NHL player would have gone through. So we'll have details on that. We're going to meet Laura Blaine. Could you pack everything you ever needed into a van and then just go? Could you do that? Well, that's what Laura plans to do, and we'll ask her why. What is causing her to want to do this? And I wonder if we're going to see more and more young people fall into that category. Because if you were in your 20s right now, what's the outlook of buying a house? You could inherit a house, but buying a house. Finding a job and saying, yeah, I could absorb about a $325,000 mortgage. Sure. Come on, lay it on me. I'm ready for that kind of debt. That's kind of a deterrent. So we'll talk with Laura about that. Lots of other things to come. But right off the bat, we want to speak with Dave Gilmore from the London Police Association. And we want to talk about something that they are doing in conjunction with the end of Movember. This is the last day of November, and it brings about an end to Movember. And one of the best stashes anywhere around, and for a great cause as well, has been a mustache that has been grown by our own Devin Peacock, Executive Director here at 980 CFPL. Dave, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Mike, how are you today? Hey, not too bad, not too bad. So, Movember is coming to an end, and uh, what exactly are you doing? Honestly, I was just driving around listening to Devin and Taz talk about how they're trying to up their uh, $1,000 goal. I think they said they'd gotten to 1700 and we're looking at boost to get it to 3000 So, uh, we have a couple, little bit of money kicking around on our charity account near the end of the year, so we'll give $500 for... Um, for Devin's November campaign. Hey, Maybe that is incredible. Other people want to uh, donate and see if we can get that up to three grand by the end of the day. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so, and I guess the, the call does go out. If you want to help Devin and Taz, who you just heard on the 96 take, hit that goal, then or hit $3,000, then you can give us a call here at 519-643-2222. Dave, really appreciate that. Have yourself a great weekend. Yeah, you as well. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. Take care. That is Dave Gilmore from the London Police Association. How generous is that? Don't you love... Maybe it's this time of year, but I don't think it is. It's just this community. When you hear somebody doing something good, as Devin has been with that mustache, then you wind up saying, how can I help out? And that's exactly what the London Police Association has just done.
Thank you so much for that. Also on the show today, Tyler McGregor is going to join us from Canada's national para hockey team. We are going to talk about a statement from the OHL. And it involves a statement about hazing. We'll do this later on on the show because if you have been checking out any kind of national news, this has circulated pretty well. You've got some former players who are talking about going through hazing. And they refer back to when they were in junior hockey. And I really think that what you hear from them has to be differentiated from what things are like now. We're talking about guys who last played about 15 years ago. This is a long time ago, and a lot in our lives has changed over a 15-year period. And to tell you the truth, I've been riding around with junior hockey teams on and off for a long time, since about the mid-90s. And I have never seen anything like what is being described. So I don't think it was running rampant. 15 years ago and before, everybody can talk about their hazing stories from fraternity brothers to football teams to hockey teams, doesn't matter. All those sorts of things have been laid out over years and years. But we're different now. I really believe that. I really believe that. And you don't see the kinds of things that are being talked about as if they're still happening in the game of hockey. And I almost think it's it's a little dangerous the way that some of these players are addressing this, because you're not necessarily getting that clarification that, wait a minute, this is actually from when I played, and this is not happening now. And Eric Wellwood, who is the head coach of the Flint Firebirds, actually spoke up about that very thing, saying he's been involved in junior hockey for a long, long time, and he wanted to make that differentiation, and he did. And so... Credit to Eric Wellwood for doing that because he's been included in some of the the very national stories that have been including a lot of the talk about hazing in junior hockey. So we'll talk more about that next hour as well. It is a big old weekend for the Salvation Army. Make sure if you have a few hours, if you can stand beside a kettle, that would really help out. The Salvation Army is also collecting up plush toys on Sunday afternoon, as the London Knights take on the Sarnia Sting at Budweiser Gardens, their annual teddy bear toss is taking place. So if you're heading to that game, please do not forget to bring along a plush toy. You can wrap it in a bag or in plastic. They'll have bags on site as well because you can't just throw it on the ice. They can't be collected that way. We have to make sure that... that these things are, are still in very good shape. And so you want to put that into a bag as you make your way down to Budweiser Gardens. But up next, I want to introduce you to someone who can describe what it is like to score a teddy bear toss goal, to actually score and have thousands and thousands of stuffed toys rain down on them and their teammates and anybody else who happens to be on the ice. Because, you know, London holds the record for most bears collected at an OHL game, 10,671. Well, the guy we're going to speak with next was responsible for the record right before that, was responsible for the first time that London fans had thrown down more than one bear per person out of the stands at Budweiser Gardens. Colin Martin will join us on London Live. It's Friday. It's not exactly sunny, but somewhere up there is the sunshine. We'll get it someday. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Once again, I want to thank Dave Gilmore and everybody at the London Police Association for making a $500 donation to Devin Peacock's Movember campaign, which comes to an end today. He has grown an incredible mustache. He really has. He's done a phenomenal job with this. And we want to thank them for getting involved because... That's not something that they had to do. It's something that they absolutely chose to do. And this is, of course, hitting close to home for Devin Peacock and his family. I don't know if you know the story, but he posted it on the Movember website. You can go to Movember.com and see this. But he says that... My father was recently diagnosed with both prostate cancer and multiple myeloma, and while he's doing the heavy lifting, fighting, and winning, I want to do something to help, even if it's indirectly. And he says, if you would be so kind to donate to my Movember prostate cancer campaign, I would humbly ask you to divide that figure in two and donate to prostate cancer here. And he's got those links. And he's got one amazing mustache. So thank you again for that donation. What a way to start a Friday show. Really appreciate it. The giving will not stop because on the weekend... The teddy bear toss is going to take place, and all of those plush toys are going to be collected up, and they are going to be picked up by the Salvation Army and given to a lot of kids in this area who could use a smile at this time of year. Now, before we even get to our next guest, we have an opportunity to go back to the phones and talk with somebody else. Hi, it's Mike. Who's this? Hey, it's John. How are you? Hey, John. Um, just, uh, was listening to you. I've got, uh, a son at Laurier and, uh, with his frat, they're raising money for this November thing. And his deal is, and he, he, he's, he's raised it. Uh, uh, but his big deal there was he hooked up with, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them or girls go and get waxes and that sort of thing. He thought this would be a novel idea. So he said if he made his $1,000, which he's over now, that uh, he would get a Brazilian wax. Well, <laughs> uh, that shop got right behind it. His fraternity and sororities and all that. So uh, I guess he's going to be very itchy next week. Yeah, he knew what a Brazilian wax was going into this, didn't he? Well, one of his girls that he knows told him, he thought, you know what, I think I could run with that. And Sure enough, he made over his $1,000 so that he said that he was going to make. So. Hey, good for him. Well, can you congratulate him and thank him for doing that? Uh, yeah, we'll see how happy he is about uh, <laughs> saying that he would do that after this is done. It'll be worth it, for it sure. Be. Have a great day. Have Thanks, great John. Weekend. You have a great weekend, too. I love the stories. Well, this weekend at the Teddy Bear Toss, again, all kinds of kids are going to be able to wind up with one of those plush toys thrown on the ice. There's usually a, a great big monkey that makes its way in. I'd like to know where some of those monkeys have gone to over the years. If you happen to be the proud owner of one of those, you have to let us know, because that's that's a thing of pride. That's some, some of those plush toys are big enough to sleep on. It's amazing. Well, Colin Martin is a guy who knows what it's like to score a teddy bear toss goal, and we thought we'd hook up with him just to give you a perspective that we don't normally get, the perspective of a player involved in the teddy bear toss. Colin, thanks for being with us. All right, let's start here. What is it like to score a teddy bear toss goal? Oh, it's definitely uh, one of those moments that you never forget, um, especially in London. Uh, those fans are so unbelievable with uh how many teddy bears they actually bring to the game, you know, breaking records all the time. It's, uh, it's, it's really cool, and it's, 
definitely something that will stick the day I die. Okay, let's talk about being a player, day of the game. How much is Teddy Bear Toss talked about in the dressing room as you guys are getting ready to play a game? Obviously, the boys are all joking around, you know, who's going to get it. Uh, Everybody wants to score it. Um, You know, at the end of the day, though, you got to win that game. Uh, um, You know, there's a lot of jokes going on before the game and warm-up, and uh, maybe, maybe in the first intermission if we haven't scored yet, but as soon as that goal... Yeah, it gets done. We have a little bit of fun cleaning up the Bears, and then it's, uh, you know, it, we, we had a job to do, and that was to win the game. So we were pretty concentrated, but at the same time, it did a ton of fun in that game. In actually getting a shot on net when you know it could bring down a whole lot of Bears, is that different than any other kind of shot at the net that you would take in a game? Oh, definitely. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of in your back of your head every time you get that opportunity that, uh, you know, you, you score. Uh, what's just about to happen? There's going to be 9,000 teddy bears just flying over your head. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool feeling when you get that puck in the slot and you, uh, you, you think you're going to score and you're going to bring those, uh, those bears down. You know, it's even cooler when you do score the goal and uh, you, you get to relive, you know, like I've been around that team for 15 years or and, uh you know, they, beforehand watching those games and seeing those teddy bears come down, it was like you get the chills every time. You know you're helping out somebody that, you know, wasn't going to have the best Christmas, but now they are. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really good cause. And honestly, like, you you clench, you clench your stick a little tighter to that game because you definitely want to be the guy that scores that goal. Colin Martin, former London Knight, joining us as we talk about scoring teddy bear toss goals. Okay, let's go back to the game against Erie in 2010 where you did score that goal. What do you remember from it? Honestly, I remember uh, just kind of coming over the line and uh, uh, I made a little bit of move and the puck kind of rolled on me and I, I just thought, you know, just shoot the puck, get it on net. And Honestly, I think I was thinking about getting a change right after and, uh you know, it squeaked by him, went under his arm, and I remember, I think it was Phil Veroni that came around the net, and he just his arm just went right in the air, and I knew at that point that I just scored the teddy bear toss goal. <laughs> so uh, so as soon as I thought about that, I was like, okay, well, now I need a good celebration. So I thought I would skate down the middle of the ice and uh, call the teddy bears on the ice. And then, of course, that's exactly what happened. Now, when you're standing on the ice, do you immediately look for a place to take cover? Do you just kind of say, I'm wearing a helmet anyway? How does that go? Well, to be honest with you, you, you never know where they're coming from. Uh, you, you, I don't know. Every time I scored, it's, uh, you kind of almost black out for the first couple of seconds because you're so excited that you just scored in the OHL. And then, you know, right after that, you got to... You know, kind of bear down, and you're back into the game. But scoring that goal, you you raise your arms, and all of a sudden, it's just landmines everywhere. So, yeah, you gotta watch out. You might get uh, you might get a couple off the off the bean, but that's okay. They're teddy bears, so it's it's all fun and games. And like you say, they're collected up by the Salvation Army, and uh, and they go to some kids who need a smile at this time of year. Oh, exactly. Salvation Army is such a great cause. Like you look at this across the CHL, it's it's, it's fun watching those games. Just see the home team score and see how those teddy bears come on the ice. It's uh, it's always a really exciting game, and uh, I know it was a privilege to be a part of it. And you know, it's an honor to score one of those goals to help these kids out. Colin, thanks for reliving some memories with us. Oh, thanks a lot, Stubbsy. Anytime, I love living the the old memories. Colin Martin, former London Knight, on scoring. The Teddy Bear Toss goal. Teddy Bear Toss on Sunday. So please do not forget to bring along a plush toy or two or six. You can name them. Because you realize it's a lot easier to name a plush toy than it is to name just about 
anything else. Did you see the story? Southwest Airlines and the mom and the daughter. Have you seen this? This daughter got flack from Southwest Airlines for her name. The mom got all upset about this. Someone had questioned her name. And this daughter is young. I'm not sure exactly how old she is by the picture. Let's say she can't be more than seven or eight. And they were flying on November the 2nd of 2018. Southwest Airlines is fantastic. They sing happy birthday. They do a lot of good stuff. So she gets to the gate, and this woman who's from Texas say that the agent made fun of, oh, here it is, her five-year-old. So the girl is five. Made fun of her five-year-old's name. Her name is Ab City. Well, that's kind of a strange name, isn't it? And then you look at the spelling of it. How do you think Ab City is spelled? I don't know. A-B-C-I-T-Y? Sure. But that's not it. Her name is actually spelled A-B-C-D-E. Like the five letters in the alphabet. And the girl had no idea at this point that she had been named after the first five letters of the alphabet. So this story has, of course, taken off, and this mom is now not just dealing with Southwest Airlines and questioning whether or not that's your daughter's name, and you would, wouldn't you? If you were at the counter, wouldn't you say, uh, something must have gone wrong here, I don't know what, but it has your daughter's name as A-B-C-D-E. Yeah, uh, we'll have to look into that. And then you have to be the one to say, no, 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 don't look into that, that is her name. Her name is Ab City. Who thought, how did that even get through? You know, we have some rules in Canada. Not that many, but we do have rules that you follow, and you actually have to submit your name. And submitting a child's name is difficult. You have to think about what they're going to be called on the schoolyard. You have to think about initials. I've told the story before, we didn't think of our son, right? We called him Jack, and we thought he'd be the only Jack when he was born. Not so. He's never gone through a class without at least one other Jack. Who knew the name Jack was about to take off? But he hasn't gone through a year where he's had only one Jack in his class, so he always had his last initial. And we didn't realize it was a problem until he got into kindergarten, and he got to school one day, and he's got his little backpack on, and they had that little kindergarten pen that they keep them all in with the little fence. And so we let him inside the pen, and immediately all these kids start running over going, Jackass! Jackass! Wait a minute. How did we miss that? Well, this mom is all upset about A, B, C, D, E, and getting all kinds of flack for it. A little later on in the show, we'll run through some other names. Names that have actually been submitted worldwide. Some of them have actually passed, like Tallulah Does the Hula from Hawaii. That was actually accepted in New Zealand, and then because of what happened after with, I guess, the girl being teased, the parents being rather unfit, the New Zealand government actually assumed guardianship of Tallulah Does the Hula from Hawaii when she was nine and legally changed her name for her. Coming up, we're going to talk with somebody who is going to make a big change in her life. Think about minimalism. How much do you actually need in your life? When you sit back and you look around your house, 
You think, do, do we need all of this stuff? Eventually, you'll just be getting rid of it. We'll talk with someone who's doing that now and what her end goal is. And she's only in her 20s. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle with news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We are about to meet somebody who is going to be writing a brand new story. Somebody used to call London home. Now, I'm not sure where exactly she's going to call home. I don't know if there'll be a particular place. Attended Fanshawe College, graduated a few years ago, done some traveling. Maybe the best hint at what she's doing can be summed up by a good old friend from Saturday Night Live of long ago. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Everybody used to laugh at that. Now, could you actually do it? Could you live in a van, not necessarily down by a river, but it might help? Could you do it? If you look around your house, what exactly do you need? And if you go through a point in your life, and you may have been through it already, where you have to deal with the loss of a parent, the loss of a grandparent, and you have to deal with their estate, and you have to go through the house and all of their worldly belongings, it makes you realize pretty quickly that people keep a lot of stuff, and people have a lot of stuff, and that you don't have room for their stuff with your stuff. You barely have room for your own stuff. So what happens to that? Well, a lot of it gets donated. What can't be donated gets pitched. Ultimately, that's what happens. Keep some important things. But you think about our life now and the uh, amount of visual stuff we have. Now, a lot of it's contained online, so it's not like you carry around billions of pictures of your children, even though you might take billions of pictures of your children. But when it all boils away, if you had one or two pictures of somebody, that's really about all you need. You know, all the other stuff, eh, you're never really going to get through it. You're never going to look back over this and that, oh, look, remember this and look at this. And you won't get through all of the pictures that are taken today. It just doesn't happen. So could you become a minimalist? Could you actually take Everything that you had, whittle it down to basically what you could carry with you in a van and go. Our next guest is going to be attempting to do just that. And we'll find out what prompted it, whether this is just an idea completely out of the blue or whether this is something that she was able to see somewhere else and how she plans to survive. This is London Live. It's Friday. It's still not sunny. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In 30 minutes from now, we are due to speak with Curtis Joseph, former National Hockey Leaguer. He's written a new book, and the book is not just, here's what happened in hockey, here's what it was like to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, here's what it was like to win gold with Team Canada at the Olympic Games. That's not what it's entirely about. There are some hockey stories, yes. But let me read a passage. By the time I was eight years old, I lived on a steady diet of stale cookies, 
processed cheese slice sandwiches, and frozen institutional hamburgers. God knows what they were made of. Every night I'd throw on a dirty old bar, throw one on a dirty old barbecue we kept outside the kitchen door. My bed was a mattress on the floor. It was tough to find a dry corner because mom's cats peed all over them. I didn't have sheets or anything, just an old blanket. In the winter, I'd sleep with an old coat that one of the men in the house had thrown out. Mom treated her animals better than she treated us kids. That's from Curtis Joseph's new book. We'll talk with him in a half hour. He is somebody who, as a child, did not have much. And he grew up to be an incredible success. Now, there are people who are very successful and then decide, you know what? I don't need all of the stuff that I have. And we have an opportunity to meet one of those individuals right now. Her name is Laura Blaine. She has graduated Fanshawe College. She has traveled the world and now is embarking on a bit of a new adventure that she is going to fill us in on as to why exactly she's choosing to give up a lot of the stuff that she owns. Laura, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Mike? I'm fascinated to hear about an adventure in which you kind of let go of everything. You purchase what? Uh, I'm thinking most of us would need an apartment on wheels. What are you hoping to go out and get? Um, I'm not going to go that far, uh, but I'm thinking like your average soccer mom van, something that usually would fit like six to eight kids. Uh, but I want to tear out all of the seats other than the two front ones, um, pop a mattress back there, see how much of my stuff I can probably fit in there being comfortable and uh, live in a van. Live in a van. And now, hey, when people are growing up, they have all kinds of ideas as to what they want to do in their lives. A lot of times, police officer will come up, doctor, firefighter. At any time before now, did you think, you know what I want to do? I want to live in a van. <laughs> um, no, this is definitely a new idea that um, kind of sprung up while, uh, while I was traveling for the past um few years, I, it, I just never come across um, other people who lived like this. And um, I first uh, came across, I guess, a f- like my first van dweller when I was, I lived in England, kind of along the coast in this little hippie surfer town. And everybody lived in vans, like they were lined up along the, the one free road um, in the little town. And People would shower at hostels, you know, they, it was right along the coast, so people would go surfing, they'd swim in the water, they would get clean like that, and it was just incredible. I had never experienced something like that before, and the idea just kind of clicked in my head, and the more that I spent time around these people, the more I was like, this is something I need to try. How would you describe these people, and, and what, would, what they would do? Were they employed? Were they not employed? <laughs> yeah, um... I would describe them as some of the most interesting people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, they're travelers. They, you know, drive wherever, I guess, the wind takes them. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, they were all employed, um, working, uh, well, when I was in England, they were all working seasonal jobs. 
say they would drive in um, to this. I live in a little town called Newquay. They would drive into Newquay, uh, find a job for the summer, and um, work uh, usually like hospitality work or something like at a resort, you know, um, and then kind of head off and head somewhere warmer for the winter. So they would make the most of their summers and kind of once the weather got a little bit colder, they would uh, drive elsewhere because um, it's a little bit more difficult to live in a van throughout the winter. I mean, you've got to like really insulate it well. Um, but, uh, yeah, all employed, they're not like that dirty hippie <laughs> stereotype that I initially thought um, and very intellectual people. Wow, we're talking with Laura Blaine, and Laura has set out a goal. And we always love people who are willing to take a chance and just do something. Laura is a Fanshawe College graduate, but is heading off at some point in a van on an adventure. So you're at the point where you at least have decided it will be a van. How far away do you think you are from taking whatever you have in life, packing it into that van, and going? Uh, I would say pretty close. I'm a few months away. Um, I, With the experience of traveling for the past few years, um, I, I lived pretty much out of a backpack. And uh, I've started con- to condense my stuff as much as possible throughout the past few years. But especially now, uh, Eve, I'm back in Ottawa and I'm selling my stuff left, right, and center. Um, so that process is coming really close. And then in terms of funding, um, I'm working two jobs right now, just trying to save up as much as I possibly can, uh, throughout the winter months. And then I'm hoping to have a van bought, um, hopefully early next year and then kind of refurbish it in the early months of the summer and then take off as soon as possible. And the goal is to what? Just to see which way the wind blows you, or do you have a destination <laughs> that you're headed toward? Um, I really would like to explore Canada as much as possible. So um, I'd like to drive from east to west coast, go up north, explore the territories. But ideally, uh, I'd like to settle down uh, somewhere out west. I really like Squamish, B.C. I was there this summer and uh, a lot of like-minded people out there, a lot of vans. And um, I think that would be a place where I could actually live in it all year round. Um, A lot of free camping spots that have running water, that have, um, you know, places to cook your food. Uh, So that's kind of what I'm looking at. But, I mean, who knows, plans change. Like day to day, so uh, ideally, I'd like to end up out there um, and explore a little bit more of Canada. But we'll see what happens. Well, it is fantastic to think like that. Now, when when you look at maybe what prompts this, obviously the people that you were able to meet in the UK. But we talk a lot about people who are in their twenties and the difficulties of thinking about buying a house, the cost of doing that. Has any of that fueled what you're doing right now? Oh, definitely. Um, it's it's just the kind of romantic aspect of living as cheaply as possible. And I feel like a lot of what I've been able to do over the past few years is because I've learned that discipline, you know, to not spend money on, on new clothes all the time, to not go out to eat all the time. It's just finding that 
I, I don't even know if it would be balance, but discipline in, in spending money. And as well as, you know, like we all go through that trouble of paying rent and um, bills, you know, you've got like electricity, you have internet, you have like everything just adds up. But with the van, you know, it's, uh, it kind of takes away some of those expenses and then you can put that money towards something else. So um, especially experiences, you know, that money that I would pay for rent instead of going towards insurance and gas. Um, you know, there's no internet fee because, you know, you can, it sounds really a little cheap, but you can park outside uh, like a Walmart and most Walmarts have good enough Wi-Fi that you can stream Netflix from the parking lot. So that's something I learned this summer. Um, or like a Starbucks or something like that. Like there's Wi-Fi everywhere. You don't need to have it in your home as well. You know, you can go to a cafe, charge all of your appliances there. Um, so definitely cost has, has come into uh, consideration. And for me, it's just, it's a challenge because yes, you are living cheaply, but it's also how cheap you can live. That's kind of really exciting me, I guess. Laura Blaine, heading out on an adventure, <laughs> Fanshawe College graduate, but now looking at purchasing a van if you're just joining us, and just going and being able to live in the van, tour around Canada, see places most of us think about, think we know about, but have never actually seen ourselves. When you first started telling people you were going to do this, what were their reactions? <laughs> um, most people, I think, were just a little surprised. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things that you like, you hear about, but never really come across somebody who's doing it. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of my friends and my family, they're pretty, um, they're pretty homebound. They like their creature comforts. So the idea of kind of not having those, um, at your disposal all the time, it's a little scary, you know? Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, a lot of raised eyebrows, um, but I think you know for the most part people are people are cheering me on. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me if I have like a blog or an Instagram page that they can follow. So just through talking to people, um, I think I'm kind of gaining a bit of like a a bit of a following. Like people are rooting for me and they're really excited for me to do this. So this is almost kind of helping me get excited and pushing me towards actually you know, making this happen. Um, so, yeah, it's been really exciting. So you will have a blog that people can follow? <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Um, I am trying to get sort of the logistics in place. Um, I've got a, like, a little photo shoot uh, set up for the end of December so I can have, you know, like a professional page set up um, that people can, yeah, they can subscribe to. And uh, I'm getting a few, um, a few articles up and ready from kind of my past travels this summer and uh, hopefully have some content come the new year. Fantastic. Well, keep us posted and we'll make sure and share <laughs> that around. This this is an adventure like most people will never take. So good luck making it happen. Laura, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. That is Laura Blaine, Fanshawe College graduate, now whittling everything down. Minimalist, this is what it would take. Purchasing a van, as she says, a soccer mom van, leaving in the two front seats, turning the rest of it into a place where you can fit a mattress and whatever other belongings you need, 
She was inspired by people that she met in England who did this, who, and, and this is not to say I'm going to be unemployed or I'm not. The people she met in England, they actually were employed, seasonal workers, were able to save up enough money that in the summers you could go and enjoy yourself. You're unattached. You don't have walls to carry around with you. What do you think? Is this something that you could do? This is not grabbing a motorhome and traveling around. This is creating a living space in a very small space and going from there. I think it's fantastic. I don't know if I could do it for a long time, but how much fun would that be to do just once, just for a little while? We'll check in with Laura as she starts her adventure, and we'll see how things go. Maybe she'll give us all some ideas. Let's take a break. London Live continues in just a moment. We'll let you know what is coming up in hour number two. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar. Things have been pretty tame. As much as we haven't had a lot of sunshine, haven't had a lot of storms. Remember, they're not just about restoration. They'll help you with renovation projects, too, if you've got anything going on this winter. Here's what we have going on in hour number two. We're going to talk about hazing and a statement released by the Ontario Hockey League. World's a lot different now, and it's it's uncomfortable to watch some people treat their circumstances as if they're still happening now. I'm not comfortable with the way that that's being portrayed, so we want to talk about that. We're also going to talk about attendance in junior hockey. We're going to give you a chance to win tickets to go and see at least one of the games at the Para Hockey Cup, which begins on Sunday at Western Fair. Canada participating against the United States and Korea. We'll even hear from Tyler McGregor, who's from Forrest and is now a proud member of Team Canada and has a lot of medals to his credit yet for being a very young para hockey player. We are also going to hear from Curtis Joseph. You know him as a National Hockey League goaltender. Really iconic mask. Didn't matter what team he played for. He had the same look of the mask. The colors would change, but really the same look of the mask once it became that Cujo mask. So we're going to talk with him not just about hockey, though. If you're not a hockey fan, don't worry. Curtis Joseph has written a new book, and it's called Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life on and off the ice. And he spends a great deal of time looking at his life off the ice. Not now, but a long time ago. Because you think, well, he's a hockey player, so he grew up playing hockey. You know, oh... He was a goalie. You know how expensive goalies can be. Got to buy new pads every year. Got to buy a new mask. That's not what he was dealing with. He was basically trying to survive day after day. He was living in a halfway house with his adopted mom. And he was trying to survive. How did he ever get to the National Hockey League? He's the owner of an Olympic gold medal. How did he get there from where he began? Once you find out where he started from, it's a really fascinating story. We'll tell it after Jacqueline LaBelle and News. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Check. One, two. We have some hockey stars and some hockey stuff in the next hour. Tyler McGregor is going to join us before the end of the show. We'll give you an opportunity to win tickets to go to the Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup that 
begins on Sunday. You can turn Sunday into quite the doubleheader. You can go check out the teddy bear toss game that the Knights are having. All of those plush toys are going to be collected up and given to kids by the Salvation Army. It's a fantastic tradition that started a long time ago. You know the history of the teddy bear toss? 1993, the Kamloops Blazers created this. Shane Doan and Darcy Tucker set up Brad Lukowicz for the first ever teddy bear toss goal. And I don't know how many teddy bears rained down. It wouldn't have been a whole lot. But since then, this has basically gone across the Canadian Hockey League. Every major junior team does it. It has gone as far as Australia and Sweden. The London Knights hold the OHL record, 10,671 stuffed toys. And the Calgary Hitmen continue to hold the record overall, the world record. Even Australia and Sweden couldn't top what they did. Over 28,000 bears in 2015. Remarkable. So we are going to give you an opportunity to go to one of the games on Sunday, the Team Canada-Korea game that comes up after that Teddy Bear Toss game. So if you have tickets to the Teddy Bear Toss, you can turn it into a doubleheader. Even if you can't make Sunday's Canada-Korea game, you can head to any game except for the gold medal. So we'll talk with Tyler McGregor. You may know his story. It's a pretty incredible one where he was playing in his minor midget year all set to hopefully be drafted by an Ontario Hockey League team. And then he broke his leg. And it was thought, well, it's just a a break. And then they found a carcinoma. And he was told, in order to save your life, we have to amputate your leg. And there wasn't really a choice. It wasn't, well, what would you like to do? It was, we're going to amputate your leg. And for a young hockey player, he was good. And all he had thought about was playing in the OHL and who knows where else he could go. All of a sudden that changed. And then he found, at that time, sledge hockey, now referred to as para-ice hockey. And his life changed again. And he's become one of the best para-hockey players in the world. He's from Forest. So we're going to hear from Tyler McGregor. We'll also talk about hazing in junior hockey. I've got a couple things I want to say about that. And we'll also look at some attendance figures that somebody's been bouncing around some chat forums in the OHL. And one of our contributors to a lot of different things over the years, certainly hockey-related, is Rob Maddock. And he's done some number crunching on attendance in the Ontario Hockey League. And what it appears to be is not what it is. So Rob is going to join us to talk about all of that. We'll keep tabs on a few other things. We, of course, have some interesting stories that have played themselves out at 980cfpl.ca, and you can get up to date on the signing of, I, I can't stop calling it the new NAFTA, but earlier today, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau didn't just go for the photo op, which it seemed like everybody was doing that it was a complete photo op, didn't just go for the photo op, talked about steel tariffs again. So if you want to get up to date on that, you can visit 980cfpl.ca and do that very thing. If you are looking for a fascinating book to read, if you're a sports fan in any way, sure, this will fit the bill. But this is a story about a person, and it's a person who became very well-known throughout his National Hockey League career. 
if you look at the cover of the book, you are going to see a very familiar face. You're going to see Curtis Joseph, and he's going to have his very iconic mask that had the Cujo mouth and, and kind of the, the Cujo around the head that obviously wasn't separated by mask. And that's, that's tipped up on his head. And it says, Cujo, the untold story of my life on and off the ice. And you might look at something like that and say, well, he's got his hockey mask on. All right. Let's find out about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's find out about the Detroit Red Wings. Let's find out about the Flames, the Coyotes, the Oilers, the Blues, all of the games that he played, winning Olympic gold, winning the Spengler Cup. But there's a lot more to it inside the cover of this book. And joining us right now on London Live is Curtis Joseph. Curtis, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You're going to be in London, we should point out, at Costco tomorrow at 3 o'clock. But you've got a book that isn't only about hockey, and it doesn't take very long inside that cover to find out a lot of things that people just didn't know about you. Did you aim to write this book to tell those things from the beginning, or did you decide to do it after? Well, uh, how it came to be is I met my wife 11 years ago, and she, you know, talked about uh, how I grew up and, and uh, got me to tell some stories and things that I, I wouldn't have brought up to any player that I played with or anybody, really. And, uh, you know, she said, that's an amazing story. You should tell people that story. And so, you know, getting comfortable with it and then um, doing speaking engagements to junior teams and their parents, I'd tell more and more each time. And people would come up to me and say, wow, that's a great story. I'm adopted too, or I became a goalie because of you. And I didn't realize that about you. So the more I got comfortable with it over the years, um, I decided it was time to to, to tell my story and, and help other people, uh, you know, hopefully inspire people to keep playing hockey and, uh, and achieve their dreams no matter what the circumstance. Curtis, for anybody who hasn't heard about your story just yet, you, like you hinted at, you were adopted, but it wasn't adopted, and then you grew up in what you would call a, a run-of-the-mill household. How would you describe where you grew up? Well, it's a, it was a mental home for 20 uh, mental patients, men only. And these were men that, uh, you know, um, mild to severely um, damaged, which nobody really came to visit any of these guys, unfortunately. And it was just... Um, you know, I didn't have other kids over after school, needless to say. It was a, a different environment and a, uh, an institutional uh, environment. But, you know, I didn't know any difference and, until I'd go over to my friends' houses and really admired the way they lived. And could have been a small apartment or a small house, but just uh, how they played games at the table and, and the food that they ate was different. And, um, you know, it was really something. I was a dreamer, and, and that was something that I strive for later in my life. When you saw the way that some of your friends were living, what did that do to you or for you? Well, I craved that environment. I, I wanted that for myself. And um, that's, that's why hockey was so important to me. It was a way for me to, as a painfully shy kid, it was a way for me to express myself through sport and a way to immerse myself in other people's families and uh, getting to go to McDonald's and different places like that. So... Um, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. It was a different and, and, uh, I wouldn't raise my kids the, the way I was raised, but, uh, it made me who I was in the end. So, um, you know, I embraced it and, and, and 
the challenges that I had just made me persevere and, and uh, the person that I am today. Hockey isn't something that you just step into. It's something, especially if you're going to be a goaltender, that you kind of have to be brought into. You have to have the resources to do it. Coming from the situation that you did, how did you get involved? Yeah, definitely. It's different back then, obviously, but I I would use the equipment uh, from the association. And, uh, you know, I'd go above the Zamboni and and in the dark there and just feel around for some pads, some dusty old pads every year. And um, I know East Gullenberry has equipment now for kids who who can't afford to play goal. So where there's a will, there's a way. And where there's a community, there's a, 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 a way to get kids to play hockey, whether, you know, you pay for another kid to play or whatever it is, I think. Uh, it can be done today, um, you know, through great people in the community. We're talking not just hockey, but life with Curtis Joseph, who, of course, played almost 20 years in the National Hockey League and has kind of let us in on a side that, like you say, Curtis, you didn't even tell your teammates when you were playing hockey. Is this something that until you met your wife, you, you kind of thought this will just remain a part of me that I don't share? Well, there was no reason to share it um, until now. You know, it can help people. It can help kids. Having having three boys in AAA hockey, you know, I, I get approached by parents all the time. What's best for my son? Where does he need to play? How much summer hockey does he need to play? So, you know, I've been through it all, and, and I see that I can help people tell my story. I didn't need to help people in the NHL by telling my friends my story. But um, this is a way to have people read it and go, hey, my situation's not that bad. Or, you know, it, uh, if I keep playing, I may, you know, get a college scholarship out of this. Or, you know, so hopefully it's a, a story that people really get something out of. When you have parents that come up to you and ask those questions, everybody just wants that, here's, here's the way. Here's the way I did it. I went here, right. and then I did this, right. and I spoke to this person, and then ta-da! And right. nobody's story is ever like that. In fact, you know, you were never drafted. You had, to, you had to go through some pretty big challenges just to get to the National Hockey League. What do you tell them? Well, for sure, there's a lot of ways to, to get there. It's a marathon. Don't put a lot of pressure on your son at six or seven or eight years old. It's a marathon, and, and uh, your goal should be a realistic goal, and, and uh, to to get to be a a college athlete, whether it's Canada or the U.S. Get your schooling. If you can, you if you can get your schooling paid for, that's amazing. And if you're good enough, you'll go you'll go to the NHL or you'll be a pro. But have a realistic goal. Playing in the OHL or or uh, you know they have great school packages in the O also, and um, just. You know, that's a realistic goal, and, and uh, keep playing, and, and um, you know, just don't burn your kid out either. And do you think that's something that a lot of parents are, are starting to realize the danger of, or is that still, you know, the, the dream of getting there is, hey, we've got to go to stick-handling school tomorrow so that we can go to skating backwards school on Sunday? Well, your kid should tell you. Your kid should tell you. If, you, if you're having problems getting them up, go to hockey, then you're pushing too much. Um, you know, I have three boys and they're all different and they all told me when, you know, enough's enough, or I want to play baseball this summer. And I'm like, yes, that's what I did. I played baseball all summer. Perfect. Have fun. And so when they're not having fun, then that's time to back off. So, um, you got to know your kid. Curtis Joseph with us on London Live. New book, Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life on and Off the Ice, co-written with Kirsty McClellan Day. What was it like writing with Kirsty McClellan Day, given you know some of the, the other projects she's done with Theo Fleury and other players? 
Yeah, she's amazing. I uh, that was the other thing. I was, you know, hesitant to write a book. Who who would write this book, and who's the right person? And we met her at Gretzky's Fantasy Camp, and she's just a wonderful human. And I talked to Ron McLean about her, and he called me. I texted him, and he called me right back, and had great things to say about her. So she was wonderful to work with. Uh, uh, terrific writer. It was so easy. We spent hours and days and weeks together. Uh, collaborating and just a pleasure to be around. So it was a great experience. You are a revered Toronto Maple Leaf. What is that like to walk the streets downtown and and live as somebody that Leaf fans put posters on their wall and and cheered for as loud as they could every night? It really, looking back at it, it's really uh, a surreal feeling. I mean, I, I would have never thought I would have made the NHL ever in my entire life. And so it's a it's a story that, um, you know, is very unlikely. And then now that it's happened, it's, you still have your humility and, and humble, and, and but you're, you're thankful that people um, appreciate the work that you did and uh, they remember games and plays. And now that I'm retired, I get to, I get to hear all this, all the stories that people remember. And you really, once you, when you're playing, you're kind of in a bubble. You, you have your family life and you have your hockey life. So you really don't get the full experience. But now that I'm, um, I work for the Leafs now, which is amazing. And, and, uh, you know, that's how I make a living now is, is, um, is recalling events and shaking hands and, so it's, it's been great. It's been a great experience, and, and obviously playing for the Leafs was huge. Toronto Maple Leaf fans are pretty incredible. Some of them must remember things that it must take you a second to say, yeah, okay, 13 minutes into the second period against Boston one night in January. Is it ever tough to kind of figure out what the moment is that they're reliving? It's, it's amazing the, the, the reca- how people re- recount the, the uh, things that happen in a game or a series. And I you wouldn't believe I must have had 30,000 people come up to me and say they were there when Doug Gilmore had that wraparound goal on me when I played for St. Louis. And I'm like, it only held uh, 18,000 in the old gardens. How are all these people there? (laughs) It's amazing. It's, It's really amazing. All right. Since you brought it up, what do you remember from that moment? Because obviously it didn't go the way that you had hoped. No, but it was a great series. And and obviously it was, um, I had played well in that series and, and uh, you just play as hard as you can, as long as you can. And it was a great play, a great move. And, and uh, we all bit on it and uh, what a way to end the game. It, I always ask Dougie, we've signed that poster or that picture uh, many times together. And I say, Dougie, you must've scored another big goal in your career. This is the only one I hear about. And he goes, yeah, I scored the winner in uh, Calgary for the Stanley cup. And I'm like, but we're in Leaf Nation here, and uh, this is all you're going to hear about. So it's pretty funny. We have, we have fun with it. Curtis Joseph will be at Costco on Wonderland Road North tomorrow at 3 o'clock with his book, Cujo, The Untold Story of My Life on and Off the Ice. Curtis, just one more thing, and that is the Olympics, because you got to go to an Olympic Games where the experience was brand new for a lot of people, and what was going on was was certainly you know, not the easiest. Take us through the Olympics and ultimately Canada winning gold. Yeah, pretty amazing. I was lucky enough to be a part of the 98 Olympics where pros were um, first introduced uh, again to, to the Olympics, Olympic Games. That was amazing with Wayne and all those great teammates. To be picked for Team Canada itself, is you look around the room and you got uh, superstars playing on your fourth line. And so you've got three goalies that are all-stars. It's, it's a tough go. So, 
in the in um, in Salt Lake, we had assembled another tremendously all-star team, and just watching those players and and um, uh, being on that team was amazing. And you know, I got to play the first game; it didn't go well, and and that's it. And then Marty came in, was played played unbelievable, uh, handled that pressure beautifully, and uh, winning gold for Canada, to, uh, ending that drought was uh, to have it in North America. Also, was in Utah. To have it in North North America was pretty special. All the families and friends were there, so it was an incredible experience and incredible uh, time to be a Canadian. Well, your NHL story is a fantastic one. Your hockey story is a fantastic one. To have added what you did to it, thank you for doing that for everyone who's already benefited from it. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon, and enjoy London while you're here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Yep. That is Curtis Joseph. Olympic gold medal winner, 19-plus years in the National Hockey League. And if you missed the passages that we read earlier, I mean, he's allowed a part of his life to be known now that, as he says, he hopes helps other people. That's what he's trying to do, that his story wouldn't have helped anyone when he was playing hockey, wouldn't have helped his teammates, wouldn't have helped people he was around. But it can help people now. And... I mean it. Not long into the book, this is what you read. By the time I was eight years old, I lived on a steady diet of stale cookies, processed cheese slice sandwiches, and frozen institutional hamburgers. God knows what they were made of. Every night, I'd throw one on a dirty old barbecue we kept outside the kitchen door. My bed was a mattress on the floor. It was tough to find a dry corner because mom's cats peed and defecated all over it. I didn't have sheets or anything. Just an old blanket. In the winter, I'd sleep in an old coat that one of the men in the house had thrown out. Mom treated her animals better than she treated us kids. That's where Curtis Joseph came from and never looked at that and said, yeah, okay, well, that gives me carte blanche for this because I had to deal with that. Never did that and simply turned himself into an incredible success, one who was able to look around the room twice and say, I have been added to the best of the best that my country can produce in what I do. The best of the best. And that's where he was at two Olympic Games. And Leaf fans can recount stories of Curtis Joseph for years and years. And it's great that he was able to head back to Toronto before he officially stopped playing hockey and that he's still a part of the organization right now. But he is going to be at Costco tomorrow at 3 o'clock, Wonderland Road North. And you can go, you can buy the book, you can get it signed, you can share a conversation with him as you hear. He's he's one of the good guys, and uh, it's great to have him here. We are going to take a break. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Got a couple other hockey things to come. Tyler McGregor is going to join us on London Live, part of Team Canada for the Para Hockey Cup that is in town starting on Sunday and continuing on through next week. We'll also talk about attendance figures in the OHL. There's been some suggestion that attendance is off. Well, one of our contributors to London Live and certainly to London Nights broadcasts, Rob Maddock, has done some number crunching, and he will reveal his crunched numbers. And a couple of words on hazing still to come as well. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle has news. This is Global News Radio.
on a Friday where it's still not sunny. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Yesterday, the Ontario Hockey League released a statement, and that statement dealt with hazing. I don't know if you've seen some of the national stories. Former NHLer and OHLer Daniel Carcillo has told his story, and it's it's an important story to tell, but I feel that people are missing on this. Daniel Carcillo was telling a story that comes from more than a decade ago. He comes at this as someone portraying what happened to him, and that's fine. That's great. You want to tell your story, you should be entitled to tell your story. But if you see that story about hazing in the OHL, I really have to tell you from personal experience, I haven't seen any of this, even back when he played. Now, I only travel with one team, and that's the London Knights, but I haven't seen any of this. And the OHL released a statement that I want to read from right now, just in case you have run into this story. In 2006, the league's anti-hazing policy was enhanced. Today, all OHL players are educated on this important subject matter annually through their member team. All players acknowledge to the league in writing on an annual basis that they understand league policy and are encouraged to bring any concerns forward without fear of reprisal. And they do now have an independent ombudsman or champlain who can hear confidential concerns, complaints. There's an established channel of complaints or concerns that go directly to the commissioner. They've got a lot of things that have been done. So if you see someone saying, well, this this is what junior hockey is all about, I'll defend junior hockey to the end of the earth because I'm able to see it up close, and I don't see any of that. I've never seen any of that. Maybe some teams have been through it. The Windsor Spitfires were punished for it. You have members of the Sarnia Sting at that time, like Daniel Carcillo, who have now talked about it. But this is not something that is running rampant, as maybe it is suggested. And again, Eric Wellwood, who's the head coach of the Flint Firebirds, did a very good job kind of speaking about it. So just keep that in mind if you run into those stories. While we're talking about the OHL, remember Teddy Bear Toss is Sunday. There have been some suggestions that attendance is off in the OHL. If you go to London, you're not going to find that, but in other places. And one of our contributors to London Live and to London Night's broadcast is Rob Maddock. And Rob has done a breakdown of OHL attendance that kind of clears up some of the question. And Rob, it looks like you've put in all kinds of hours on this. How long did it take you to put all of this together? Actually, it didn't take very long, but uh, I was just kind of reading some comments and, and hearing some things on the message boards, and, and people are, are kind of panicking uh, that the OHL attendance numbers are down, and they're trying to dissect them and figure out why why the attendance is down so much. And you know, it goes goes from anything from from the OHL is trying to take fighting and hitting out of hockey. Um, that that seemed to be the the big the big complaint, and there, there was even a complaint that uh, people just don't stop caring for OHL hockey because the London Knights are getting all the good players and, and all the the NCAA decommitted players. And uh, I said, you know, that doesn't make sense. So, you know, first things first, I, I know when people start to start to look at those sort of things, they're, they're comparing apples to oranges. I had a feeling, and I, and I was right, that when they were looking at the average attendance numbers for the season so far, they were comparing it to the total average for teams at the uh, at the end of last season. So the overall picture 
versus uh, versus kind of the the same point in the season as it is now. Uh, and you know, you've been around OHL hockey a long time. I, I've been a season ticket holder for well, who knows how many years, a long time. And and you know that that the first half of the season tends to be not well uh, as well attended as the second half of the season for for all the teams. And the, the playoffs work the same way. The, the first couple of rounds. Not so much, but as you as you get going, then then you start seeing a higher uh, attendance in the later rounds. So what you did was decide to put the brakes on comparisons to the entirety of last year, and you actually went in and cut off last year about now to compare attendance. What did you find? Well, so when you look at uh, when you when you compare to the entire season last year, there was only one team that is showing a higher average attendance over the entire season last year, and that's London. And they're, they're showing uh, 59 uh, more fans per game over the total of last year. However, when you look at the same point in each team's schedule, there's actually uh, five teams that are above, above uh, the last year's totals at the same, at the same point in time. Uh, Sault Ste. Marie is actually seeing the, the biggest increase. They're, they're showing 246 more fans per game so far at the same point this season. Uh, versus last year, whereas if you look at the overall, they're they're down 52 to uh, to the entire season last year. So, and then on top of that, there's another I think six teams that are within 50 that are 50 fans short per game, and which should easily easily kind of make that uh, make that up. We're talking with Rob Maddock, who is a great contributor to a number of things. He has taken OHL attendance. He's compared a slice of last year that would look at the start of the season until right around now on the calendar of 2017 and compared it to the slice of this year so far. And you're not seeing dramatic differences in attendance as has been suggested. No, that's correct, and and I think what you what you'll see is uh, th- there will be some teams that are that are going to decline over last year, uh, no question. But you're going to see a lot of teams uh, kind of make up the lost ground in the second half of the season. Teams like Ottawa is is, is a good example of a team that's just that's you, you have to feel sorry for them. And, and this is a team that that in the early 2000s they, they were drawing 8,000 fans a game, 7,000 fans a game. Uh, then all of a sudden the, the breaks went on when they had to relocate for a couple of years to the Canadian Tire Center. Um, you've been to Ottawa numerous times. I think you're from the area, aren't you? From I am, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, my son lives out there, so I know the challenges it is to get to the Canadian Tire Center. Traffic out that area is just crazy. So they they saw a huge decrease in fans, and they they ended up losing thirteen hundred fans a game. Uh, it didn't help that in those two seasons, the the sixty sevens were also uh, dead last in, the, in their in their conference. So, um, and then to to make matters worse, the Ottawa Red Blacks started playing, and and now they're fighting for the entertainment dollar in Ottawa. So uh, the sixty sevens are now dead last uh, as far as average attendance. Um, Average uh, um, attendance lost goes. Um, they're they're losing on average at this point in the season uh, 638 fans a game versus last. This is just versus last year. But like you say, as people begin to really realize this team is good, they're on this massive unbeaten streak. Then all of a sudden, you get a return of fans. We're seeing it in Sudbury this year, where fans are starting mm-hmm. to build, where attendance is starting to climb, and it goes back to that old adage, doesn't it? If you win, they will come. 
That's exactly it. Put together a program where, where people want to report. And, and there were, um, uh, Sudbury fans have complained for years about ownership in their, in their city. And lo and behold, they've got new ownership. And look, the fans are starting to come back. And, the, and Sudbury's got a good team on the ice, too. Definitely do. Well, Rob, we really appreciate you breaking this down. Is there anywhere, if anybody wanted to see a, a whole version of what you have that you have it posted? I have it posted online at uh, hfboards.com. And there's a, there's a, it's a hockey forum um, kind of place and they've got uh, an OHL section and if you scroll down you'll, you'll see a thread on attendance and it's all right there and I'll be updating it there regularly as well so that's probably the best place for, for somebody to go and view it. Outstanding. Thanks for spending some time with us. Not a problem Mike, thank you. Rob Maddock, contributor to London Live and a London Nights broadcast talking about OHL attendance figures that have been bouncing around and kind of putting some perspective on them saying, you know what, no, 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 this this is still what it usually is. Let's take a break. Up next, Tyler McGregor will join us and will give you a chance to win tickets to go and see one of the games at the Para Hockey Cup that is kicking off on Sunday evening as Canada plays Korea. It'll be Canada and Korea and the United States vying for a championship over the next week in games played at Western Fair. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Did mention... A little while ago, about the little girl, the five-year-old, her name was Ab City, but her mom spelled it A-B-C-D-E. What are you doing? You should have to pass a test to have a child. Ab City, really? What are you doing to your child? I mentioned that we would get into a couple of other names that had passed by that have now kind of been outlawed. Nutella or Nutella. Is it Nutella or is it Nutella? I don't know. It's in our pantry. Nutella? Sure. A couple in France decided to name their daughter Nutella. They wanted her to be as sweet as the spread that they enjoyed. Really? And a French judge actually put a stop to this after the child had been named Nutella. And the judge actually legally shortened the name to Ella. One other one, we talked about Tatula does the hula from Hawaii. Somebody named their child Metallica. They were from Sweden. Tax officials eventually deemed it inappropriate, but it took a while. I don't know how you shorten that one. Lika? Metalli? Of course, Metallica is a girl's name, right? Well, in this case, it was unbelievable. You should have to pass a test to have... A child for so many different reasons. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. Let's talk about a very well-known name in the para-hockey world. Tyler, great name. McGregor, outstanding name. Put them together, and you have one of Canada's top para-ice hockey players, Tyler McGregor. And he and Team Canada are going to be playing Korea on Sunday night at Western Fair. They're going to go head-to-head with the United States as well. A three-team tournament in the Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup, which is going to be held all of this next week at Western Fair. And we happen to have tickets to give away. You will be able to go to one of the games, kind of your choice, with the exception of the gold medal game on Saturday. So pick any of the round-robin games, and you are off. And in honor of there being three teams at this tournament, we will call the winner 
Caller 3 at 519-643-2222. The only thing we ask is that you please be able to go. Don't take this away from anybody who would be going. So 519-643-2222. And if you are Caller 3, you win tickets to the Para Hockey Cup, which is coming to Western Fair. 519-643-2222. Phone lines are open right now. As we talk with Tyler. Tyler, are you ready for another big competition? Oh, we'll try and get Tyler on the line in just a minute. I think we've got him. Okay, Tyler, you ready for another big competition? Yeah, I can't wait. It's it's been about seven months since we've we've competed, and and we're excited to have the U.S. and Korea in town, and uh, we're just excited to get going. What's it like for you to be able to do this so close to home? It's exciting. This is honestly the closest I've ever been able to to play to home. So have a ton of family and friends who are going to be here this week and um, just excited for the experience, excited to to showcase our sport and, and hopefully uh, play as well as we can. Now, <clears throat> when you look at having friends and family watching, are you the kind of guy who gets energized by that or are you running around worried about tickets, things like that before, before games? No, my family's pretty good with that. So, uh, you know, they just let me focus on hockey, so... Um, you know, I'm kind of trying to keep that in mind and, and, uh, you know, they're kind of dealing with that on their own and, uh, it takes a lot of pressure off me for sure. Definitely. Okay. Well, let's look at the actual competition itself. You've got a younger team this year. What's that been like getting together and starting practice? We do. I think anytime you add younger players, newer players, they just, they're just excited to be there. They bring a, a ton of energy to the group. And I think as a guy who's been around for a few years now, that motivates you to work harder and um, kind of puts a little pressure on you to, to make sure you bring your best and, and challenge them to be better as well. When you look at passing on info, I mean, you're hardly a veteran at this, but all of a sudden you find yourself in, in more of a veteran role. Is there anything that you tell them to be ready for, or is it more they kind of have to learn as they go? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, you know, the best teacher is experience and you know for a lot of of guys coming in it's their really their first taste of of international experience and and a big part of that is just throwing yourself into it um i think as as veterans as guys who have been able to compete at at tournaments like this um we just kind of have to instill the belief in them that that they belong here that um you know they're here for a reason and that we're capable of, of winning a gold medal uh, and kind of leading by example in that sense. And, you know, hopefully we're able to do a good job of that. Tyler McGregor joining us from Team Canada's Para Hockey Club that will be competing in the Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup that gets underway Sunday night at Western Fair. And you take on Korea, and people might be thinking Korea, but this is a kind of a world power in para hockey, right? They are. I mean, they they put a ton of money in and resources into their program since they were hosting games. And, and, you know, my first world championships was actually over in Korea in 2013. And, and since then, they've made tremendous strides, turned themselves into a, a country that can compete at every tournament. And, you know, they showed that uh, leaving the Paralympics last year with a bronze medal. So, you know, every time we play them, they, they challenge us. They're, they're a physical team. They have some, some players that are 
a really big big threat offensively. Uh, and you know, if you're not care- careful, they can they can hurt you in certain situations. So we definitely have to be well prepared to play them. Um, but yeah, you're right. Not typically known as a as a hockey nation, but in our sport, they've they've made tremendous strides over the past few years and and have proven they're they're very competitive and and capable of beating a lot of teams in the world. Tyler, you know you're going head to head with the U.S. again. What's that like? It's exciting. I think as a as a high performance athlete, those are the games you you love to play in. And I think you know having a, a three team tournament this this week offers us the opportunity to play them. You know, two and and if you know we we have a chance to play for a gold medal, then three times. Uh, and I think you, you know those are the games you look forward to the most. Uh, they bring out the best in you as an athlete. They challenge you to a higher standard, and you know I think it's it, it makes winning a lot more exciting, a lot more um, challenging, and you know we're excited to to have that opportunity this week. Tyler, we wish you the best of luck as you get going. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Tyler McGregor, Team Canada, para hockey, as they get set to take on Korea on Sunday. We get set to finish out London Live. We'll do that next, let you know what is coming up for the rest of the afternoon as we turn things over to Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One more band name, just in case someone you know gives birth this weekend. I don't know if this is banned in Canada. It wouldn't be allowed in Canada, but somebody tried to pass it through in New Zealand in 2013. It's full stop. Basically, quotation mark, period, quotation mark. And for a while, it was going to be a name, and then somebody went, wait a minute, what is this? We're not having this. And now it's banned, at least in New Zealand. So if you're being born somewhere outside of New Zealand, could still have a shot. Be careful. Naming children is hard, and it's a responsibility. Coming up as we turn things over to Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick for news, you're going to find out about a record-setting Shine the Light campaign. That is fantastic. And they will also have an update on the police presence at Mother Teresa High School or Mother Teresa Catholic School. And that comes from earlier today. And so if you haven't heard details on what was happening earlier today, they're coming. And then we'll have an update on it as well. Thank you so much to Jacqueline Carbone for all of her help today. Thank you to all of our guests, Laura Blaine, Curtis Joseph, Colin Martin, Rob Maddock, Tyler McGregor. London Live, brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. Don't forget, teddy bear toss on Sunday as the Knights take on the Sarnia Sting. Bring those plush toys for the Salvation Army. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.